we are in our series called Presence in the Pain. And uh, we're really taking a few weeks to allow some people in our church community that have gone through some difficult experiences to share some of their stories and some of the things that maybe they've learned through them and some of the ways that God showed up in, in the midst of their pain. And the series is, is built on a couple of key points that we're trying to remind you. One is that regardless of our theological position on pain and struggle and suffering, all of us will actually face some of these, uh, some of these experiences. All of us will face difficult experiences in our life. And our theology doesn't have the ability to stop those things or not. And so uh, we're thinking through, okay, what if, if, if we're all going to face these things, if struggle and pain and stuff, is, if it's going to show up in our life at different points, is there something else we can ask? And, and the, the idea is to, what happens if we, we go beyond the why question, why is this happening, why do these things happen, to, to um, look deeper, and what do we find in the story? So when we look in church history, when we look in scripture and when we look into the lives of people from our own community and we get past the why question, we can find out that there are many other things that we can learn and we can draw out. And um, the second theological kind of grounding or understanding for this is that God is always with us in the midst of our pain. We see this, again, throughout church history, throughout scripture, and in these stories, is that we find that even though we will face these difficulty times and these difficult times that God shows up in our life and God is present in our pain. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is the incarnate God. And so sometimes when God is with us, God is, God is upon our lives, it can happen through relationship with other people. Sometimes God shows up in our life through the church and through the care of others. And sometimes God shows up in our life just directly by his spirit. And there's, there, it, it's just the Lord is doing something and he's there and we can sense his presence and feel his presence. And our hope is for this, that for those of you going through a difficult time and going through a time of pain and struggle and lostness and, and, and whatever it is that you might be experiencing, that you would be able to find God's presence in this moment. Don't you love our church? Cappuccino machine going in the background and kids screaming and crying. You know, if Mike Hansen wasn't on the board, I would fire him for being a barista right now, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, let, him, uh, we'll let him go. Um, I, that's just part of who we are, and, that's, and we roll with it. It's good. Um, the, other, the other is, I, I don't know what the other is. Where, where are we going? Oh, that, um, that if, if you're not going through a moment of pain right now, Maybe, maybe things are okay. You could actually be one of the people in someone else's life that could be used by God to, to bring the presence of God, to bring the healing, to bring the encouragement of God into somebody else's life. Because one of the primary ways God shows up in our lives is through the care and through the attention of other people. That's the way he designed the body of Christ. That's the way it's set up. And so all of us can be inspired and encouraged to find God's presence and to, and to continue on and to be used of God and to care for others. And so in a moment, we're going to uh, welcome Deb to come forward. Uh, we appreciate Deb and her family for their role in our community. Bruce, Deb's husband, helps us with our men's network and gives leadership to that. Courtney, their daughter, helps us uh, with student lounge and cuts up vegetables and helps us make soup and stuff like that. And Deb is one of our high-level volunteers at the house. Deb is in charge of foods and hospitality ministry. 
And so she interacts with all of the different leaders and all the different ministries to help and, and make use of, of our kitchen and hospitality. She looks after all that communication. She buys all of our supplies and stocks everything. Uh, she keeps everything going. She is, if she's not bringing, you know, paper plates and, and napkins and stuff and loading them in, she's helping us with preparing the soup and getting the ingredients. We run our student lounge on Mondays and Tuesdays. Every week we make a couple of great big pots of soup. They're gone every week and uh, students love it. And so Deb comes, she's a volunteer. She does all that. She's here many days a week on her own, helping and coordinating. And uh, boy, we sure appreciate Deb and all that she does. So uh, Deb, why don't you come on up and why don't you guys say thank you and uh, welcome to, to Deb as she comes to join us. We sure appreciate you coming and being a part of things. Uh, Deb hurt her shoulder the other day, so getting up, and she looked at the, the height of the stool, and she thought, I don't know if I can make it and get up there. Uh, so we're certainly glad to have you with us, Deb. Here's your mic. And uh, we know that you are going to do amazing. You have a great, courageous story. And uh, our hope is that you feel comfortable and, you know, just are a part of us as part of our family. Uh, I think in order for us to get a feel and, and kind of get some context, that's what we need to do is, is look at the beginning. So, uh, Deb, tell us a little bit about your, your childhood and growing up and your family and you know, the, some of those things. Yeah, um, I uh, grew up in Kamloops. And uh, my dad um, was a heavy-duty mechanic. And my mom, she was just an amazing homemaker. And um, I have two brothers, and they are twins. They're three years younger than me. And when I was five, my uh, dad, we used to live in the Lower Mainland, and my dad was transferred to Kamloops for his job, so. Okay. Uh, church, what did that look like in your family growing up? Uh, we were a non-Christian family, and uh, so God and church was pretty foreign to me, so. Okay. Uh, yeah. Part of your story begins with the neighborhood that you grew up in, Kamloops. Once you, once you moved there when you were five, tell us a little bit about what that neighborhood was like. Mm -hmm. um, we lived there for uh, 10 years, and um, all of our neighbors were friends, even though it wasn't like, I don't know, I didn't know anybody on the street that were Christians or anything, but we were just a really tight neighborhood, and um, everybody looked out for each other, and... Uh, my dad's best friend lived on our street, and my two really close friends that I grew up with lived right beside us. And uh, so, um, yeah, my dad was involved in the volunteer fire department in our area. And um, from an early, my early teen years, my parents would um, just, they would leave us alone, me and my brothers, and they, they had a motorcycle, and they would go on little trips. And so... There was a lot of responsibility on me put on uh, on a young age, but um, yeah, it, it's funny. They would go to the neighbors. We were also I actually some of them I even called like auntie and uncle, like they were so close, right? And uh, I um, my parents would go to the neighbors and say, "Hey, we're we're leaving. We're gonna go on a little bike trip. So can you just keep an eye out for the kids?" So and yeah, it was it was fourteen, thirteen, fourteen, and brothers were like ten, eleven. So okay. yeah. And uh, one summer day in 1986 changed everything for you in your life. Tell us about that day and what happened. Yeah, um, my uh, parents, like I said, they just loved their motorcycle and taking bike trips. And uh, so <clears throat> when, uh, on, on August 9th, 1986, uh, they decided that they were going to go on a week-long bike trip. And uh, so from Kamloops to Spokane, and um, that day they made it as far as Kelowna, 
um, at Reed's Corner, and a semi made a wrong turn and hit them, and they were instantly killed, both of them. And um, as that was happening in the morning, um, of course, we didn't know anything was going on, and I uh, was looking after my brothers, and we were playing in my backyard. Our backyard, we had a, you don't dare live in Kamloops without a swimming pool. <laughs> so we had a big backyard and swimming pool, and we were playing and um, kicking around a soccer ball. And I was just, yeah, we were just being kids. And um, I looked up, it was about 4.30 in the afternoon, and I looked up and I saw two police officers walking into our backyard. And um, behind them was a trail of all of our neighbors. And uh, when I looked up and I saw them, I, I instantly knew that something was really, really wrong. And um, so, and that was when the RCMP officers told us that our parents had died that morning. I think that's such a powerful picture of seeing a couple of police officers making their way into the backyard and a whole neighborhood of people following along in behind to, to provide support. I can't even begin to imagine the feelings and the emotions that you would have felt in that moment and in the, in the days to follow. Uh, what, what were some of those days like following the accident? Why don't you describe some of what was happening and going on in your life? Um, well, I remember for the first three days, um, like I said, my, my parents were perfectionists and <laughs> um, we had a living room in our house that we were never allowed to go in because my mom just, she'd freak out if she knew we were in the living room. So, but she had a rocking chair in there and um, I went into the, my mom's rocking chair and it actually, we could close off the living room. And so I went and I sat in my mom's rocking chair and um, I, I sat there for about three days in shock. And um, our house like instantly filled up with all of our friends and our relatives. And um, I could hear a lot of commotion going on behind in the background. And um, I kind of had this numb feeling and it was like I was there, but I wasn't there. And I just, I knew that there was lots going on. I could hear like little bits about them like planning where we would go and what they needed to do with the house. and. And just, there was lots. So um, I, during my time in the chair there, I, um, I had a lot of questions. And um, so, and yeah, you have that why question, but there's no answer for the, the why. So um, I remember thinking to myself, like, it was like mother, mother bear kind of mode kind of set in and, um, First of all, I was thinking like about my brothers and I didn't want to be separated from them and um, um, I didn't want to go into foster care because I, in my mind I thought then that means that we would be separated and uh, um, then it kind of switched a bit and it was like a little bit about me and so then it was like, you know, like who's going to teach me how to drive? It was, 50, it was 10 days before my 15th birthday and uh, so just that th those thoughts of you know, who's going to teach me how to drive and who's going to walk me down the aisle and what about my graduation and just like we, yeah. So um, while that was all happening, um, they, 
off, police officers and stuff, they had asked my uh, family to um, search our house, basically, with a fine-tooth comb, um, because they had quickly realized that my parents didn't have a will. And um, so they asked my family and friends to just start searching the house wherever they thought, um, that whether they could find a letter or a note or just anything that... Um, had any kind of inclination as to what should they should do if uh, something should happen to them. So, and it actually just happened to be that my mom had on a tiny little scrap piece of paper, um, they found in her jewelry box, a drawer in her jewelry box. And uh, on that paper, it said that if anything should happen to Bob or I, um, the kids would go to my sister Donna. And um, so instantly, my, my relatives, my aunt and uncle, were notified, and um, they lived on an 80-acre dairy farm <laughs> just outside of Fort Langley. And um, so much different than what I knew, and, um, but they came instantly, and um, there was no doubt at all in their minds that they wouldn't take us. Um, they had four children of their own, my aunt was only 33 years old at the time. Um, both of my parents were 39. Um, so we became a family of nine. So. And this aunt and uncle, because they were running the dairy farm, one of the things that Deb said, of course we know from farmers, and especially something like dairy farm, you can't really take like two weeks holidays and, and go travel around. Uh, and so Deb knew of this aunt and uncle, but really didn't, you know, hadn't spent a lot of time with him, wasn't very close. And of all the different relatives and all the different people and scenarios that it, it could have gone, if that one note hadn't have been written, who knows where, you know, Deb would have ended up with her brothers, but uh, she ended up with, with this aunt and uncle in, in Langley. Uh, so you went from a normal life in Kamloops to losing your parents, uh, moving in with relatives that you hardly knew as a, becoming a family of nine and almost overnight saying goodbye to your friends and your family, your school, every, everything that you had really known to get started with a new life in a new city. What was that like to move to Fort Langley on a dairy farm uh, in that scenario, in that situation? Yeah, um, it was very different, of course. So I, when I lived in Kamloops, I lived like a block away from my school and... and um, so we moved to this dairy farm, 80 acres. My uncle uh, milked for Dairyland. And uh, there were a lot of cows, <laughs> a lot of horses, and a lot of pigs. And um, I remember when we got there, my aunt and uncle sat us all down. And so they said to us, um, everybody has chores. And the boys, it's a given, they're outside. And, uh, but we're going to give you a choice. You want to be inside and help cooking and cleaning and all of that with Aunt Donna, or do you want to be outside? And I was very quick to say I wanted to be inside. So, um, yeah, um, entering, um, that was the summer I was going into grade 10. And um, so, of course, we, yeah, we left everything. We left our house, our school, our all our friends and everything. And... Um, Started my grade 10 year in a new school, and um, that year was really difficult. Um, I was grieving. Uh, I didn't want to be at school. I had a really hard time just making myself go every day. Um, 
I had a hard, I, I, I didn't really want to make new friends. I just, that, that was difficult too. And um, so fortunately, my, cousin, my oldest cousin, she's the same age as I am, Lori, she, uh, she was switching schools as well. And so her and I were there together, which that helped. Um, but uh, the next year, grade 11, grade 12, uh, we actually switched schools again and um, moved over to Langley Senior Secondary. And um, my aunt and uncle attended Christian Life Assembly in Langley. And um, so uh, out of respect for them, I went to church with them and um, had never really gone to church before. And uh, um, yeah, so like I said, God was pretty foreign in our house. And um, so I did, for the first year, I did a lot of observing. Um, I don't know if very many of you have been in CLA, but it's a pretty big church, and uh, I was a little surprised that it was a church, because it's just so big, and I didn't know really what to expect. So um, I did a lot of observing and just watching people and um, trying to figure out what this Christianity was all about. And um, so about a year later, uh, I was 16, and CLA hosted a drama um, called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. And um, I remember watching that and uh, it stirred up a lot of questions in me, uh, especially about eternity, because that's basically what it's about. And um, in the play, there is a scene where a couple is in an accident and because they hadn't accepted Jesus into their heart, they weren't going to, they, it shows them going into the flames. And um, I remember at the time I um, had gotten to know our youth pastor at the church there, and at the time was Cam Milliken. And uh, I went to him, and uh, I had just was asking him some questions about that had arised out of this uh, watching this play. And um, I said to him, you know, like um, if if this is if this is what Christianity is, and and from what I've seen in the play, like I don't actually think I want to be a Christian. And um, he looked at me, and I said, like I, I want to see my mom and dad one day. And I grew up thinking just all good people went to heaven. And um, so Cam walked me through that time. Um, we talked a lot about faith and trust and. Um, after watching my aunt and uncle, um, they just totally showed me the love of Jesus. And um, Cam, walking me through a lot of those questions that I had, I accepted the Lord. You shared with me how important church became and Christian friends and this period in your life. Uh, once you be, became a Christian and began to, to live that out, tell us a little bit about that impact that uh, the church and youth and all those things had on your life? Yeah, I um, I started going to youth all the time, and um, I just loved the, like, the community of it, and I made some really, really great, strong, solid Christian friends, um, went to retreats and camps and all of that, and um, yeah, that made a huge difference for me, and then also too, um, I think it was a blessing that we had actually switched schools in grade 11 and 12, because um, Langley Senior Secondary School was right beside Christian Life Assembly. And um, so every lunch hour, I would go have lunch with Cam. And um, 
literally for like those two years that I was there, grade 11 and 12. And I'd made some other friends. And so there was a little, Cam had a little posse <laughs> that we would go and have lunch with him. And um, just that time with him just actually was really great too because every now and again, I'd think of something or a question or whatever. And I'd say, hey, what about this? Or what about that? And he just walked beside me. And um, so... Yeah, it was that was really great. So I think we can we can see part in in Deb's story that though there were some of these incredibly difficult things that came her way, the Lord was still providing some things and still at work. And you know, sometimes we don't we don't see those things until further down. And we're in the moment and it can we're kind of trying to figure out what where is God and uh, how is he working and, and you know, does he even know and does he even care? And it really isn't sometimes until we get through those things and we can look back and we see, can see God is at work. And so you think about that, uh, Deb's mom leaving one little note of paper to say, I want you to go to my sister if something happens to, to, to Bob and I. And, and them going to the one family relative in, in all of the family circle uh, that were Christians. And them, you know, being moved in a high school right right across the street from the church and going over every day. Because when you're in high school, if you can get off campus and go hang out, that's, that's fun. And going in and hanging out with a youth pastor every day and visiting. And So you can see there's these little things. But in the end, they, they, they propel Deb forward. And I think that that's sometimes what happens with God is we, we don't know right in the moment, but we can look back and we can see that God was at work. God was orchestrating things, even when things seemed dark and they seemed hard. Um, I remember you sharing uh, some of the questions you had in the days following your parents' death. And as we, we talked, you, you talked about how, you know, uh, who would walk me down the aisle? Who would teach me how to drive? Who would look after me? And, and all those kinds of things. Uh, who would be at my graduation? And uh, how did you get through those milestones in the coming years? What, what happened? How did, that, how did that work itself out in your life? Um... My aunt and uncle, number one, were like, sorry, they were amazing people, and um, yeah, they, um, my aunt was, um, she was just an amazing woman of God, and she was just such a great example. Um, she taught me how to drive. She kept telling me not to go into the ditches on Glen, Glen, <laughs> Glen Valley Road. Um, my uncle, I, you know, my dad, um, I didn't, I, I felt growing up that um, my, my dad's love for me was quite conditional. Um, yeah, so... My uncle, he, uh, yeah, he, he loved me so unconditionally. It was just, and so through that too, when I accepted the Lord, I was like, wow, like this is what true unconditional love feels like. Um, it was just, that in itself actually was, that was a healing time for me. Um, he walked me down the aisle. So that was pretty special. And um, there's a picture of the oh, family. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is 
Deb's extended family now. Yeah, that was the uh, year that uh, Lori and I graduated in 1989. And uh, so you, my you, twin brothers you are You didn't actually have to say the year. We could tell from the clothing <laughs> my hair. that that was 1989. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those are my brothers on the ends. And uh, yeah, when we went to live there, so I was just about to turn 15. Lori was 15. And uh, the boys, my brothers were 11. Their son, Danny, was 11. And their son, uh, daughter, Angie, was seven. And Chrissy had just turned four. Um, my aunt was, like I said before, she was 33 years old at the time. And um, yeah, you talk about driving. Uh, <laughs> my aunt teaching all three boys how to drive at 16. That was interesting. <laughs> so, yeah. And, yeah, the good old 90s hair. I couldn't imagine. Uh, I mean, I, I know just with my girls, and three, there's three of them, and I feel incredibly outnumbered and ganged up on. I couldn't imagine having a family of nine and, uh, and still somehow taking them to church and uh, being gracious enough to give them time. Um, you know that I, uh, I tend to cry once in a while. And uh, working through with Deb, uh, her story, you can really see God's hand on her life. But the way God orchestrated things in her life and uh, provided for her, it, it's part of what made her who she is today. So if, if you have connection and relationship with Deb, you will know that uh, hospitality, feeding people, uh, providing uh, a home atmosphere is incredibly important to her. And um, that came out of uh, being, at first, totally lost as a, a 14, 15-year-old girl and then finding a new home and watching her aunt create something. And um, seeing uh, Deb today is an incredibly powerful thing because she lives out this gift. She lives out this experience. And because someone else took time and made room in her life to be Jesus to Deb, mm -hmm. Deb is now able, years later, to reciprocate that to others. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a real wonderful story of God's grace. And so God was present with her through other people. Other people in her life that showed Jesus to her. Um, Deb, tell me a little bit about how God was present with you uh, directly and, and how, you know, the Lord <clears throat> showed up in your pain. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, well, like I said, I accepted the Lord when I was 16. And um, to be honest with you, um, the Lord was my counselor. Um, it was interesting because at times, you know, people would ask me, my aunt and uncle, or just different people that were involved in my life, if, like, I felt like I needed to go to counseling. And um, I never, honestly, never felt that I needed to. Um, it was different for my brothers, but for me, um, I, I felt like the Lord was my counselor. And um, when I accepted the Lord... Um, I realized, looking back, I realized 
all along the way how the Lord had just worked out every detail, whether it was big or small. Um, he just, he had everything worked out. And um, he, uh, I, yeah, I just had peace. I, I totally had peace. And um, so it, what was really cool was he erased that why question uh, for me. Um, because there is no, there is no right answer for, uh, for the why. And um, I really believe that, uh, or know, that God helped me not to focus on that, um, not to dwell on the situation or, um, you know, have that victim mentality. Uh, I wasn't going to live there. I just, I mean, it is a choice, but the Lord totally helped me choose that. So, so I'm one of the things I so appreciate about Deb is when we look at her story, that 14-year-old girl playing in the backyard, looking after her little brothers and looking up and seeing the RCMP come down and all of her neighborhood and being told that news and the, the, just this incredible sense of that lostness, that lost young girl, compared to who she is now, they're just so far apart. And uh, God has really done an incredible work in your life. Uh, I wonder if you could just... You know, do you have any final kind of thoughts for us or anything you want to share? You know, um, yeah, just that I feel very thankful um, and just really, yeah, I have a lot of gratitude because um, I'm able to look back on my life and um, sorry. Um, out of tragedy, he brought so many beautiful things. Um, my life now is like, I just, I have an excellent supportive friends. I work with amazing people. Um, and just being a part of this church is just, it's a blessing to me. Um, and then, of course, I have an amazing husband <laughs> and a beautiful daughter. And um, yeah, I just feel really blessed. It's awesome. Thanks, Deb. Why don't you say thank you to Deb? We're going to get the team to come and uh, get ready to close. Thank you, Deb. Deb shared with such courage and dignity. Sure appreciate you doing that. And uh, it's quite a story. I, I find uh, when I go through these stories, I'm amazed at how uh, God is just there right when we need him, right in the right moment. And, and sometimes, even in that moment, we don't always see it. But, uh, but God is there, and God is present in our life, and he is showing up. One of the things that Deb shared, which I, I want to just kind of go back to, is this idea of when she became a Christian and when she opened her heart up to the Lord. And she said, you know, I, somehow after I met Jesus, it was like God took the why question away. And we talked about that a little bit. She talked about how it's, it's, it's so dangerous to get stuck on it because there really isn't a good answer for some of the things that we face. And sometimes we're just in the middle of something and there's no good answers to why it's happening, why it happened. And you can kind of get stuck. It's like a hamster wheel that you can't get out of and you just are running perpetually and you never get anywhere. But 
she says that the Holy Spirit became my counselor. And something happens when she opens her heart up to the Lord. And God begins to take some of these things out of her life. And God begins to remove some of that struggle. And I was thinking about that because when we are in relationship with Jesus, you know, we are able to encounter, and, and it's, it's like a, a door opens up. When you, when you can open your heart up, just a crack to the Lord, and when he comes in, he comes in so beautifully. And he comes in in ways that we don't even know we need. He comes in in areas that we didn't even know were there. And he floods our heart and he floods our life. And I think the tendency is, is that when we're going through an incredibly difficult time, we try to be self-resilient. We try to tighten up and close up and do it on our own and get through it. And, and, and it's, it's kind of counterintuitive to just kind of stop and just say, Lord, I, I can't. I just, I just stop and I just open myself up to you and to let you come in and to let you do your thing. And you know, it is only in that relationship with Jesus, it is only in that encounter with him when we stop kind of being closed off and trying to do it on our own and make through it and holding on to the anger and the resentment and, and we can just open our heart a crack to the Lord. He, he just comes in. And he's so good. Jesus is so good. I wonder if we can just pray just for this moment. If you just bow your heads and let's just sit for a moment before we close our, our service and our time together. I wonder how many of you would feel like in this moment of your life, just need to kind of stop and open the door to God's presence into your life because you've been trying to do it on your own you've been trying to face and go through these things and the stuff that's in front of you and the obstacles and rely on your own self and, and you've kind of been closed off and Jesus actually calls us to do the opposite he calls us to not try to carry it on our own. He calls us to stop and to go to the foot of the cross and to find him and his love. And even as believers, we can try so hard to do things and to get through stuff on our own. When the whole time Jesus is there and he's saying, I just want relationship with you. And making room for relationship with Jesus opens the door for him to work in all of the ways he needs to work. And so we don't want to forsake our relationship with Jesus. And I wonder if those that are with us as we're just kind of sitting in this moment of prayer, you would say, you know what, I need to open up 
the door to my heart just to crack to Jesus and to let him in again. Because my relationship with him has been shut off. It's been cold. I haven't been relying on him. I haven't been going to him. I've been trying to do it on my own. And how many this morning would say, Jesus, I just need to open up to you again. Just slip your hand up and put it down again. You don't have to hold it up long. It's just you just saying, yeah, that's me. I get it. That's me. It's me this morning. Jesus, you are so good. You love us so well. And sometimes there are no easy answers for the stuff we face. And it can confuse us. We don't understand. But Jesus, I pray that you would help us to look beyond the why. And you would help us to find you. That we would see that you are there in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of the uncertainty, that Jesus, you're so willing and you're just right there. And Lord, where there's no easy answer, even where it looks like there's no easy way, we pray for your presence to be in our lives. We pray that in this church, that this community, this church, would be willing and and able to be Jesus to other people. And that you would use us, Lord, to bring your love and your relationship and, and your goodness to other people. And I pray that we would all be at a place where we can open our heart and open, open our, just a crack to you and to let you come in, let you fill us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being a part of our, our talk this morning. Certainly wonderful to be together and to go through this. It's going to get you to stand together. We're, uh, we're ready to kind of close, but I want to sing this song together as a bit of a declaration and a prayer, and uh, we'll close officially after we're done the song together. <laughs>